Father, I thank you that worshiping you and being with others, being humbled before you, is more than just a habit on Sunday. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to realize what a wonderful opportunity you give us to awaken in the morning and to say good morning to you and to spend time with you, to be in your word that our minds might be renewed, and for us, dear God, to allow your Holy Spirit to walk with us and talk with us and influence us all day long. And then, Lord, for us to come together in public worship and to publicly give thanks to you that you have put your hand on us, that you have blessed us and loved us, and that you have promised to keep your hand on us until we enter into your very presence and spend eternity with you. My goodness, Father, we have so much to thank you for. You're a loving and gracious God. And it's done by grace, Father, because we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that. This past week, Lord, with the Christmas season about us, I feel sure that every one of us, if we could look at our lives like you do, would see the times that we were an utter disappointment to you. Times when we may have said or done things or thought things that are totally inappropriate for one who has been redeemed. Times, dear God, when we had an opportunity to say or do something and we didn't do it and we thwarted your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask you to forgive us and I pray that you'd help us to start all over again today. That with a clean slate because of the shed blood of Christ, we might walk out of this church at the end of our service with a new resolve to be the men and women and young folks that you want us to be. Father, if that could just happen in our country, if we could see that happening around the world in multiple spots, what a blessing that would be. Father, help us not to wait on somebody to start renewal, but help us, Lord, to be a part of that renewing as we share your son Jesus with other people. We pray for those who are in high positions of leadership in our government, in business, in our military, in every walk of life, and pray that you would bring them close to you, that spiritual renewal would be the solution to our country's ills, and that you would be the author of that. Father, we lift up to you all those who are in military uniforms, those who seek to serve and to defend this country, and who are willing to put their lives and a great inconvenience to them. I pray, dear God, that you would bless them. Father, we have police officers all over the street this morning, and we have other people in hospitals who are serving. We ask your blessing and your peace would be with them. Father, help us to understand that the conflict that we have internally and the conflict we have in our society and in our world can be resolved through our walk with you. We pray, dear God, for that renewal in America. Father, every time we come together, there are folks who are sitting here who are struggling with all sorts of personal problems and problems that are really challenging. 
there are health issues, Lord, and there are financial issues, and there's conflict in families and all sorts of other things that really challenge us. I pray this morning if there are those present who can identify those kind of stresses in their life today, they might put those issues at the foot of the cross before they leave. And I pray, dear God, that your peace would reside in our hearts through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Pray that we'd stop blaming other people and accept responsibility ourselves. And I pray, dear God, for a healing, a healing of relationships, a healing of bodies, a healing of the heart. Thank you for our church and for what you do in the life of our church. We see your hand at work in the lives of individuals, and we give you thanks for that. We thank you for the past, and we thank you for the present, and we look forward to the future, Lord, for this place belongs to you and not to us. And we humbly come as bondservants, giving thanks to you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. And we're going to start this morning with the 25th verse. The Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, beginning with the 25th verse, and we're going to study through the 35th verse. Let me encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one right in front of you, attached to the seat in front of you. Please take it out and look up the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, and put your finger on the 25th verse. And then, if you would, keep your Bibles open as we study together. It is a wonderful opportunity God gives us to meet with him and to have him share with us from his heart and from his mind as it pertains to our life and what he's doing. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we pray like your children have throughout the generations that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us, that you, dear God, would make it possible for us to understand even more than we have understood in years past, and that we would take home in our heart and in our mind an encouragement about how to live and how to think about you. Please, Father, engage us and bless us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read the passage, I want to introduce you to somebody. I dare say none of us have ever met him. His name was Leo Lofton. Leo was born in Kent, England. And sometime prior, get this date, prior to 1694, he came to colonial America. He settled in what we now call North Carolina. He apparently was prominent, did well, owned several plantations. He served in the assembly, which was the ruling government over that part of the colonies for one term. 
And then in 1720, he died. Not much more is known about Leo, except he left something that is very revealing, that helps us understand who the man was. He left his last will and testament. And he had it certified and recorded, and it's available today. And someone who's a friend of mine shared a copy of it with me in the last couple of weeks, and I read it with great interest. And I thought, you know, it does two things, and I'm going to read just the beginning of it to you. Number one, it helps us understand who Leo was. The second thing, it's going to cause me to go back and rewrite my will because of some of the obvious omissions in my will. When you think of a will, last will and testament, you think of a document that talks about your material wealth and how you're going to distribute it upon your death. I want you to listen to how Leo starts his last will and testament. In the name of God, amen. I, Leo Lofton, of the Providence of North Carolina, being very sick and weak of body, but sound-minded and perfect memory, Thanks be to Almighty God for the same. Do make my last will and testament. I give and bequeath my soul into the hand of Almighty God, my Maker, hoping to receive the same again through the meritorious death and suffering of Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, in full pardon of all of my sins. And for my body, I commend it to the earth from whence it came to be buried in a Christian burial. You know a little bit about Leo now? It reveals volumes of who the man was. A man of spiritual character. Obviously, a man who knew Jesus Christ personally. And pretty obviously a man who walked with the Lord and trusted the Lord. What does your last will and testament give testimony to? I'm ashamed to tell you mine doesn't give that kind of testimony. Maybe that's something we need to take care of. Because here we are hundreds of years later and that document still exists. And still gives reference to who the man was. The passage that we have before us today is a passage that lets us look into the life of another man. A man of not much significance at the time of his life. A man named Simeon. And we wouldn't know anything at all about Simeon if it wasn't for these few verses, 25 through 35. For it's the only place that the scriptures talk about him, and I doubt very seriously there's any additional written record. But I want you to get to know Simeon as you've gotten to know Leo a little bit. Look with me, if you would, starting with the 25th verse of Luke 2, and listen very carefully as God speaks to us. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, And now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We know a couple of things about Simeon. We know he lived in Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, the location of the historic temple that Solomon built and that had been rebuilt after it had been torn down, a place of Jewish worship. We also know that he is called a righteous and devout man. You know, we're known by lots of identifying titles. For someone to say to us, of us, particularly like Luke does, that this man was a righteous man, I think what he was saying is he dealt fairly with other people. He was a just man. He had integrity and he didn't compromise his personal integrity. Secondly, he says of him, he was devout. I think he's there talking about his relationship with God, how he understood the teachings of the Old Testament, how he applied those to his life, and how they, through the power of the Holy Spirit, had led him to love God and to look forward to the coming of the promised Messiah and to really believe that the Messiah would come. Are there a lot of righteous people walking around today that you have contact with? A lot of devout people? You see, when people aren't watching us, when the camera's not running and the tape recorder's off and we're behind closed doors, that's when we really stand up and are known for who we are. And for someone to say, that's a righteous person, that's a devout person, is to pay one of the highest compliments that can possibly be paid to us. And folks, if that doesn't describe you, and if it doesn't describe me, we need to go home and get in our closet with the Lord, and we need to get that worked out. Because he has already let Jesus die for us and he's already claimed us to be his and he's already created a relationship with us through the power of his Holy Spirit and all of that ought to manifest itself as us being righteous and devout. 
And if it does not, there's something wrong in our walk with the Lord. So I encourage you, take some time and do something about that and try to get that straightened out. God will help you. Another thing we know about this man, he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. That's an interesting phrase. I'd like to paraphrase it by saying he was looking forward to be being consoled about Israel. Israel was a mess. Israel was a country that at one time, while geographically small, had been the envy of all of their neighbors. During the time of King Solomon, that was the place to go. That was the North America that everybody wanted to be a part of. And then the country became divided. And people began to struggle, tribe against tribe, family against family. The economy fell apart. The families started falling apart. Sound a little familiar? And the nation was no longer revered or envied by their neighbors. In fact, there's evidence that it was ridiculed by their neighbors. And here Simeon, a simple man, is bemoaning the fact that his country has literally fallen apart. And he says in his old age, I'm looking forward to the consolation of my beloved country. I'm looking forward to God doing something to fix what's going on in this country. I find it interesting, and my wife probably gets tired of me doing this. I'll hear someone in the public arena talk about how to fix America, and they talk about you know, if we just give a shot in the arm to our economy, that is not going to fix this country, folks. That is not a solution. That may be part of the problem. We have other folks that say, well, we just need a change in administration. And you can take that from the local level to the federal level. That is not the solution. It will not fix America. Please believe that. I'm convinced in my heart of hearts that's not a solution to our situation. You know the simple solution? It's spiritual. It was spiritual in the day of Simeon, and it's spiritual today. When a person experiences a heart transplant because the Holy Spirit has jumped all over them, and they come to know Jesus, that is a new person in Christ, and that person lives a different life and you see it reflected in the nation in which you live as people start to live differently. And it's so very important. And here this simple man is calling out saying, please, a spiritual solution to our dilemma. That's what I'm waiting on. We also know that the Holy Spirit had come on him. Remember, this is pre-Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit comes and visits for a season with people. It doesn't reside and stay with a person. Well, if you look back at the birth accounting, you see time after time that God has intervened into normal lives by sending his Holy Spirit and by sending angels. He's very intentional. He's trying to get people's attention, and he's trying to prepare them for the coming of his son Jesus the Christ. And one of the people that he has touched with his Holy Spirit is this insignificant man in Jerusalem. 
and he has sent his Holy Spirit to him, and the Holy Spirit gives him an assurance. Gives him an assurance that he is not going to die before he sees the promised Messiah. Isn't that an interesting promise? That wasn't made to a whole nation of people. That wasn't made to the spiritual leaders of Israel. That was made to Simeon. God said through his Holy Spirit to Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the solution to the problem in this country, until you see the Christ child. Also, when the Holy Spirit is with you, you have insights. You have understanding. So this man is able to look at the Christ child, and he's able to look at Mary and Joseph, and he's able to understand what's going on in their life and what the future is going to be like for them because God has given him that insight. You know, if you know Jesus, there's an absolute truth. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Like Simeon, you can have assurances given to you by the Holy Spirit. And like Simeon, if you let him, the Holy Spirit will influence your thinking. And you will be wise beyond your years. You'll understand things you would not otherwise understand. It's just like reading this book. When you read the Bible under the power of the Holy Spirit, you get it. If you do not have the Holy Spirit operating because you have stiff-armed him, these are just words. The Holy Spirit makes the difference. And God has already given his Holy Spirit to every one of us who are believers. So that potential exists for us. I find it interesting that God would choose a layman. He didn't choose a preacher. He didn't choose somebody who was seminary trained. He didn't choose somebody who'd worked their way up in ecclesiastical circles. He didn't look for somebody who was on television or who was writing books. Instead, he finds this old, simple man. And he touches him and fills him and uses him and witnesses to him. Some years ago, I had the privilege one year after Ceausescu fell from power in Romania to be in that country on a mission. I was invited to preach, the first Gentile to preach in the Romanian Orthodox Catholic Church. Not the Roman Catholic denomination, but their sister denomination, which is an eastern part of our world. I met a man a pediatrician. He's the one who was the one who had ignited this invitation. He's the one who'd gone to the council in his church. He's the one who had talked to the priest in his church about having a Presbyterian minister speak in their church. That was unheard of. Well, I was taken by to meet this man, and he was so in love with Jesus, it was unbelievable. He was so fired up about serving the Lord. And he was part of a group that were known in his country as the Army of the Lord. And a large segment of those 
not preachers, but lay folks, had a dual commitment. First, to get their denomination, the Orthodox Church of Romania, back on track biblically, to get them back to the scriptures, because they had lived under a communist regime for so long. There'd been a lot of compromise and a lot of selling out by people in the hierarchy and people in the pulpits. So this group of laymen get together, millions, and they decide to help get their church back on track biblically. The second thing they had as a mandate was they were going to influence the life of the 25 million people who lived in Romania with the scriptures. They understood, like I hope we do, the solution is a spiritual solution. And you talk about a country that lived in utter darkness. In 1990, that country was in darkness. And those people were committed to seeing that darkness lifted and for the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord of that land. So they went to work through their own denomination. You know what that says to me? The Simeons, you folks, not we folks, you guys are the solution. I can be your encourager. Bible-centered preachers can ensure, encourage their congregations. It's up to the congregations to say, we're going to be God's army, and we are going to help our denomination impact this country with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get up and you say, I'm going to be a part of that, like my doctor friend and like Simeon, things change. Folks, that's the solution. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You do it where you live. You do it with the people you talk to. You give them one of these little business cards and you invite them to come and I'll seek to share Jesus with them. Do something to help. And that's what Simeon was doing. Interesting man that God should pick out of the streets of his own city. Verses 27 through 33 tell us about a statement that Simeon made. Simeon had gone into the temple under the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how that keeps popping up in Scripture? He didn't just walk in to worship and to fellowship. Instead, he was there because the Spirit of God was at work in him. When you walk in that back door, if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, this experience will be alive and active, and you will have a personal encounter with God. And if you and I come in here under our own power, and we haven't prayed our way into this service, and we bring all the stuff from the world in here, don't be surprised if you walk out spiritually empty-handed. This man went into the temple totally influenced by the Spirit of God. And Mary and Joseph come walking in with their baby, who is eight days of age or younger. And they bring him into the temple to have Jesus circumcised. What they were doing is the same thing that we do with an infant when we sprinkle water on their head. Setting that child aside and saying, we recognize this child is a gift from God, and that we as parents and we as a congregation are going to love on this child spiritually. That we're going to model for this child spiritually. That we're going to seek 
to see this child come to know Christ. Well, Mary and Joseph brought their son to be circumcised to make those kind of pronouncements. And they brought him into the temple, and he was circumcised. And then Simeon, this old man, opened his arms up. And Mary and Joseph put the baby Jesus in his arms. And as they did, he started to talk. Simeon looked at that baby and said, God's kept his promise. Now I can die. Now I can depart. Because this is the promised Christ child. Now look what the Holy Spirit has done for him. The Christ child hasn't said a word to him. Mary and Joseph haven't said a word. And yet the Holy Spirit has revealed to that man so that he understands he's holding the Christ child in his hands. Ever have that kind of experience with the Holy Spirit? When you get rid of all the encumbrances in life and you start to let him have freedom in your life, you'll be amazed at what he does. And in this case, he revealed the Christ child. Simeon says, he is the salvation. The salvation comes through Jesus and no other way. It comes through God himself becoming one of us and taking our sins upon himself and allowing himself to die on a cross instead of you and me. And being buried and then being raised from the dead, which is a promise that we have that when we die, like him as adopted children, we're going to be raised from the dead. The grave will not hold us. And he ascended back into the presence of God. And don't forget, he's coming again. He's coming to get us and to take us to be with him for eternity. Well, Simeon has got that pretty well worked out in his heart. He understands this is the Savior. And then he says two interesting things. He says he's the light to the Gentiles. Whoops. This isn't just uniquely a Jewish experience. Jesus has come for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And he uses the term light to suggest to us that darkness is the world that we are born into. We don't understand. Nobody else understands. And what God does is he penetrates that darkness that envelops us. And he turns on our minds and enables us to understand what you and I would not understand. And we fall in love with Jesus. We experience that irresistible grace that causes us to want to be with him. Isn't that beautiful? A light. I think I read someplace that Jesus was a light. Did you all read that? He came in the world to be a light. Isaiah 9-2 talks about him coming to be that light. Simeon then says, <clears throat> also he is the glory and will be the glory of Israel. And that ought to make us almost weep. You know, one of the dreams that most of us have who are parents and grandparents, 
is that our kids will grow up and that they will achieve meaningful things in their life and that we can find joy in them and in their accomplishments. What Simeon is saying is potentially all of Israel can look at this Christ child and he is coming a Jew to be Savior. He is their glory and they can take pride in it. But unfortunately, most of them didn't embrace him. They didn't enjoy the glory that God had given them. What Simeon is doing is saying God's got a plan. And he's working his plan, and his plan is he's going to reach people who are Gentiles, he's going to reach people who are Jews. And some of those who are Jews have become Messianic Jews, completed Jews, they become Christians because God has called them into a relationship. In verses 34 and 35, there's a blessing given by Simeon. He blessed the parents. He blessed Joseph and Mary and the baby. And he said an interesting thing. He said, this child has been appointed. God very intentionally has sent this child. This isn't just a happening. It wasn't just good luck. This is something God had planned. And he has sent this boy into the world to be the promised Messiah. And he says, because of him, some will rise and some will fall. Interesting thing. Because of Jesus, families are divided. Some believe, some do not believe. Because of Jesus, some people who would be friends aren't really friends. Other people who might not have otherwise been a friend become a dear friend. He is the dividing mark among people. And people fall out into two groups. Those who ultimately believe in him and those who ultimately do not believe in him. And Simeon is saying that's going to happen. He's appointed for that. And then he says he's also going to be a sign. And that sign is that there are going to be people who oppose him in every generation. There are going to be nations, there are going to be religious groups, there are going to be individuals who absolutely reject the name of Jesus. And haven't you seen that? Haven't you seen that historically? And don't you see that in our own day? Simeon was right. And then he says a heartbreaking thing that has a good conclusion. He looks at Mary and he says, Mary, your soul is going to be pierced because of this child. You're going to be heartbroken. When you see what he encounters in his life and then his death, it's going to break your heart. And Simeon was getting her ready for the next three and a half years of her life. Because this little baby, once he becomes an adult, is going to be confronted by all sorts of challenges and pain and suffering. And as he suffers, mama's going to suffer. Now, why would Simeon tell her that? We have nothing 
in the narrative after that. Why did he say that? <clears throat> Could it be because God loves Mary so much that he wants her to understand that when the pain comes because of what happens to her son, that a sovereign God has allowed it to happen and knew about it beforehand. And that that's not going to be the end of that story. That that same child is going to be raised from the dead. And that one day Mary and Joseph and you and I will see him face to face with healed hands and healed feet in all of his glory reaching out and embracing us forever. That's the rest of that story. And Simeon is lovingly trying to get Mary ready for that event. Isn't it interesting? God has chosen this guy because he wants to move the story of Jesus away from just the family of Mary and just Joseph's family he wants to break outside the bounds of just Bethlehem and Nazareth. <clears throat> he even wants to break outside the bounds of Jerusalem. He wants the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, to impact the world. And he picks a simple man to start communicating that message. And that's been going on for over 2,000 years. God's got a good plan, doesn't he? And it works. Say, yes, Bill. You're sitting here, folks. It works. God is good. Let's pray together. Father, we understand a bit of what you're doing. <clears throat> we certainly don't understand all of it. But you're so gracious to let us study your word that we might understand more. And like Simeon, Lord, you've sought us out and you've touched us. Your Holy Spirit dwells with us. And you have given us a part in the building of your kingdom. You've given us an assurance that while there are stumbling blocks and while there is some hurt on this side of heaven, that it's all going to work out. And that you will absolutely be victorious. Father, I pray for that assurance. That it would be a motivator in our lives. And I thank you for sharing Simeon with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. I hope that God's word will change you every day this next week. And I pray that your prayer life and my prayer life would be renewed every day this next week. And I pray that we would sense the presence of the Holy Spirit and that other people would see him in us. God bless you, and God keep you, and may his face continue to shine on you.
And might you reflect that light wherever you go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.